Thanks, guys. Thanks, Alex, for the great reminder that, that Christ does the work for us. Man, this week was awesome. I want to just big, huge thank you to everybody that, that participated in the Juneteenth block party. If you prayed, if you were helping with communication, if you were here, whatever role that you played in that, thank you so much. Um, it was an incredible event. If you haven't um, seen the pictures that Hannah posted um, on, our, on our Facebook page, go take a minute and check those out. She put a, a ton of them up there. Bethany and I, um, or Bethany posted a few that we took that are not as good as Hannah's, but they're good. But anyway, when you get a minute, and we had a slideshow going this morning of Hannah's pictures, but uh, go take a look at those. But I was really excited because what I saw, I was telling somebody this morning, you know, Bethany and I have been in, in some sort of church ministry. I mean, we both grew up in the church, but we've been doing ministry professionally for um, about 18 years. And I've seen a lot of events where people just show up from the church, but they kind of huddle in a corner um, and don't really do anything. Y'all have heard of the 80-20 rule where 20% of the people do 80% of the work. That was not what happened um, at the block party, and it was incredible. Everybody was focused on loving on the community, and, and it was obvious that we weren't there for ourselves. It was for them, and we had a blast, and I just... I wanted to say thank you. If you look at those pictures, you're going to see a ton of smiles on those kids' faces. They felt valued. They felt loved. They felt important. The parents were there as well. We had actually a, a greater turnout than I really even expected. So it was fantastic. But th that event would not have been what it was without you guys. Um, we talked about that a lot last week, and I just wanted to say thank you. Luke's giving me a thumbs up. We t he told me on the way home, he's like, Dad, that was the best thing ever. So it was good. So that leads us into our passage today. We're going to finish up uh, Exodus chapter 17. So let's dive into that. I want to pray real quick before we start, and then uh, we're going we're gonna to dive into the Word, and got a couple of things that I feel like the Lord wants to share with us this morning, and we'll look at those. So let's pray real quick. Father, I thank you so much um, that we can rely completely on you. God, that, um, that if we have nothing to offer, that your Spirit still wants to be here with us. God, I'm asking today that, that you would show up. That it wouldn't be about me, it wouldn't be about the church, it wouldn't be about the band, but Father, that we would be here today just to have an experience with you, to hear from you, to understand you in a new way, and that that would drive us to love you and, and want to be the, the people in the church that you've called us to be. So today, Father, as we, as we open up your word, as we look at what you have for us today, God, I ask that you would engage our hearts and our minds and help us to see the truth of who you are. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to start chapter 17, verses 8. We're going to read through 16. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Come for us men, choose for us men, and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him, and he fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went and stood up on top of the hill. Whenever, whenever Moses held up his hands, Israel prevailed, and whenever he lowered his hands, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone and put it under him and sat on it, while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So our goal this morning is, is I, I, as I studied this, I saw four truths in our text. And so I'm going to tell you what those are up front, just kind of give you an outline so you know where we're going. 
But my goal today is for us to be able to insert those things into our lives so that we can't operate outside of them. Okay, so here's the four truths. When we pray and completely rely on God, He prevails. Okay, so that's truth number one. Truth number two, when we cease to pray, we are overcome. When we become weary, we must allow others to help. And number four, when we pray, obey, and rely on one another, God is glorified. Before we get started, if, if you want an outline, there's one in the Faith Life app. Um, Sally also has some copies. If you want a, a hard copy that you can write on, just raise your hand real quick and she'll run you one. Mr. Bruno in the back. Thank you. Thanks, Sally. Okay, so let's look at point number one. When we pray and completely rely on God, He prevails. As we pursue God and follow His leading, we will at times find ourselves at odds with people around us. Okay, that's, that's just a truth that we need to understand about what it means to be in ministry. Moses is following God's lead. He's going to the places that God is telling him to go, and he finds himself under attack from Amalek, okay? But just like Moses, I want us to understand that there's going to be a fight at times that's going to come to us. And what I mean by that is that we're not out looking for something to fight against. Our, our call as a church is to not go and try to start arguments with people, right? We, our goal never is going to be to go to somebody and say, we're right, you're wrong, and let me tell you why. Okay, because that's never going to have an outcome, right? And that's not, that's not how Jesus operated. He did things in love, not out of attack, okay? But Amalek attacks Israel. It's not the other way around. And I find this interesting. We're going to see today that he attacks on two fronts, okay? And we're going to address both of those. But ultimately, the attacks are from the enemy. There's going to be an attempt to devalue and discredit the work that God is leading us to do. As we are pursuing God, as we're moving forward, we're going to be attacked. There's a lot of different fronts he can attack, but today we see two in our text, and that's what we're going to look at, okay? But I want us to remember that those attacks are not on us personally. When the enemy attacks, it's not because of who we are personally. It's because we are choosing to obey what God's called us to do, and obviously the enemy doesn't like that, and we spent a lot of time in the past talking about that. So the first thing I want us to look at today is the historical context, okay? There is opposition because of something that happened in the past that Israel had no control over. Part of the reason that Amalek attacks is because he's an heir of Esau and Israel is an heir of Jacob. And if you remember back, Esau and Jacob were brothers and Jacob tricked his father into inheriting the birthright of Esau. And so we see this, this um, grudge that's been held. Now, I don't know how much time was passed. We know that Israel was in captive for 440 years in captivity to Egypt. Um, and the story of Jacob and Esau happened much earlier from that. But let's just say it's been over 500 years. That's a heck of a grudge, right? That's a long time. That's like some Hatfield stuff, right? So we see this history that's happened, and, and we've got a long time that's passed, but Esau's grand, great, 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 however many grandchildren, Amalek being the primary one, is still upset about this. And, and you may think that that sounds ridiculous. You may be in your mind going, that's a long time to hold a grudge. But think about for a moment, that's not been 500 years, but think about for a moment the last time you got in an argument with somebody and either you or they drug up something from the past to defend an action that just happened. Right? Yep. Can you think of a time? Probably don't have to think that far back. That's a, a standard tactic that many try to, to, uh, to take. Look, the world is swimming with opportunities for us to mess up, for us to make mistakes, um, and for somebody to get upset about it. And those things could range huge, right, from... Things like historically the church made some really bad decisions in terms of 
um, race and how we handled people of opposite races, right? You look back at the, the history of the SBC church, made some huge mistakes. So it could range from that to what kind of donuts we bought for Sunday morning, right? There's a huge, huge gap, gap there between the, the severity of those two things, but people can fall on either one. And by the way, if, if you think that Harlow's is not the right donuts, you're wrong, just so we're clear, okay? And that's truth from the Bible. I'll find it. Just kidding. It's not, Okay. So we have this historical context. There's going to be times in our lives where we run into issues. There's going to be times in our walk where, where we are attacked because of something that we had no control over, right? Something that's happened in, in our local church past or in the past in the church globally that we had no say in. We may not have even been alive as part of that, but the enemy is going to drag that stuff up to try to drive emotions and, and try to separate and divide the church. The second is territorial. Okay, there's opposition because we're moving in an area that some may think the church doesn't belong. Okay, Israel was attacked by Amalek, a nomad, who claimed a territory. Now, I find that ironic because nomadic people move, right? Like, think back to your childhood, like claiming your seat, 101 is if you shuffle your feet, you what? You lose your seat. Has no one ever heard that before? Shuffle your feet, you lose your seat. If you're moving, you don't get to claim a thing that you moved away from at some time in the past. But Amalek is upset because here's Israel, this huge nation. They got all of these herds with them. And they move into this, this area where there's, there's greenery. And obviously, they're in a desert, so that's a big deal. And Amalek is upset because they come into his territory. People are territorial by nature. And when we follow God and move into someone else's territory, it often can ruffle their feathers. But at the end of the day, we need to settle on this church is that as we follow God, both as a church and as individuals, as we follow God wherever He's leading, that we need to be prepared for this, okay? We need to, to settle on the idea that it could be costly, that people could get upset with us as we follow God, okay? Now, this is not a blank pass for us to just jump into some area that we think that needs some, some fixing and do it, okay? We don't want to make this a blanket thing saying, oh, I'm going to... I'm going to receive some, some flack for this, and so therefore I'm going to do it. It's okay. Will said it's okay because he said that sometimes we may, we may feel opposition. It's not a blank pass. But this is a call for us to ask God where he's leading and then follow him. As, as we talked last week, we talked a lot about, um, about the need for us to ask God about how we're going to do ministry. I shared with you guys about how we kind of came to this idea of the Juneteenth block party, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But... I purposely use the term here, church and individual, because it's important for us to know that, that we aren't all called to the same roles. There are going to be things that God calls us corporately as a church to, and then there are going to be things that he calls us specifically to. In our text today, we see the introduction of Joseph. Now, we know Joseph as a, as a strong biblical character, right? In this narrative of Israel, Joseph is a major player. But this is the first time we see him here, and Moses appoints him to a leadership position, and he gives him an objective. Okay, so Moses, or Joseph, who we don't know at this point, God calls him, and he says, this is the thing that I want you to do, okay? So one of the things I want to point out is that God's going to call us to different roles. God didn't say to Joseph this first time, hey, I want you to come and be right beside me, because eventually you're going to leave this place. God says to Joseph, hey, I have a, a task for you, okay? And he tells Joseph to go into battle, okay? And what I want us to understand from that is that we all are needed. God defines both Moses' role and Joseph's role. Each of them had a part to play, and if they tried to do the same thing, if they both, if Aaron, 
and, and Moses are up on the hill with her. And Joseph's like, man, I don't want to be down here in the battle. I want to be up there on the hill with him. And he leaves and goes up on the hill. The battle would have ended very differently. We all have different gifts. We all have different roles to play. And God is calling us to play that role. If you're given a gift in an area, use that gift as God leads. There are things that people in this congregation are gifted in that I am not. Okay? And there are areas that I'm gifted in that you are not. Okay? I'm not a photographer, so that's not what I do. Right? I'm not the worship leader, so that's not what I do. Okay? We all have a role to play, and, and it's our responsibility to make sure that we are fulfilling that call to this body. Look, I, I was having a conversation with somebody this week. If God's called you to something and he's gifted you in that, and he's giving you a task, own that. Because if you're waiting, if God is speaking to you and you're waiting for me or one of the elders to come and ask you to do something, I can't ask you what I don't know. Right? If God's given you a passion for something and he's given you an objective, don't wait for somebody in leadership to come and say, hey, will you do this thing that I don't know about? That's not going to happen. If God's calling you to something, own that and come tell us. Okay? For the sake of clarity, I want to say it in this way. God's desire is that we fulfill our role in the church. And the only way that that happens is for each of us to own our own ministry. Whatever it is that God's called you to, that is your thing. I know that's not new information. I know that most of us in this room have heard, you know, their fair share of lessons on uh, the parts of the body, right? We've all, there's been a ton of topical lessons on that. However, what God is showing us here is that, that learning the part of the body that, we're, that we are to, to play isn't a one-time deal. It's not like God says, this is your gift, and you go, okay, that's it for the rest of my life. I'm in charge of this one thing. We see in Joseph's life that God calls Joseph to a particular role. But as Joseph grows in his maturity and in his wisdom, God moves him into different areas, right? We know the leader that Joseph um, eventually becomes, but God doesn't put him in that role immediately. And God doesn't just put him in charge overnight. God took his time with Joseph. He put him in areas of, of, of um, ministry or in, in service that are constantly challenging Joseph and growing him into something greater. And God does the same thing with us. He's going to take our, his time with us. He's going to give us gifting in an area. He's going to put us in that role until we choose to obey. And once we choose to obey and we learn as we're going through that, God is going to continue to level up our experience, our maturity, and t- so that he can prepare us for the places that we need to be. Look with me real quick at Numbers 14, 1 through 9, because what we see happening in Joseph's life, this is his first introduction but we're going to see through our text today, we're going to see how Joseph learns something about the character of God, and that's going to inform who he later becomes as a man of God. Numbers chapter 14, verses 1 through 9, it says, Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. Let me give you some background here. I forgot to do that. Um, in the chapter previous to this is when uh, Moses sends the spies into the land that God has promised them. And so the spies go in, they look at it, and they come back and report that the land is filled with giants. Okay, so that's where we pick up. So then it says in, in, in verse 1, Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night because they are afraid. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we have died in the land of Egypt, or that we had died in this wilderness. Same story, right? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. 
Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of uh, Jephunneh, <laughs> I think that's how you say that, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. God used 40 years in the wilderness with Israel, providing everything that they needed and they still haven't learned. This, this response that they're seeing when they're facing opposition is the same response from day one when they're, when they're in the wilderness. Nothing's changed. But look at the response for Joseph in verses 8 through 9. He said, if the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of this land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Joseph is not afraid. And he's not afraid because he has some foolish sense of, I'm mightier than they are. He's not afraid because he's had enough experiences with the Lord, particularly in the area of battle, to know that if God is telling them to do this, they will prevail because God is doing it. Jumping back to, to Exodus chapter 17, we're going to see in verse 10 that, when, that everyone plays their part. But look, as we grow in our relationship with God and we mature in our faith, our roles are going to be changing. And we need to be vigilant to stay before the Lord and ask Him what role we're supposed to play. My role in this church changed right over the last year and and I wasn't seeking that out I wasn't trying to make a step up in the ladder just asking God on a regular basis God am I doing the things that you're calling me to do is there something different than I need to be doing if we look back in, in verse 10 in chapter 17 um see I didn't pull that up let me pull it up right here it says so Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up on top of the hill. So we see a difference in, in role here. Moses gives Joseph a job. Joseph does what he is supposed to do. And Moses goes and plays the role that he's supposed to do. Our block party this week was a great example of that. Um, and, and let me give you a couple. And Miss Debbie, I hope this is okay, but I'm going to pick on you for just a minute. I'll even see her in here. Is she in here? Okay, good. Oh, there you are. All right, so Miss Debbie gets to, um, gets to the block party Wednesday night, and I'm setting up some stuff on the table, and she walks up to me and says, what's going on here? And I said, well, I forgot to put the tablecloth on, and I've got to do all this stuff. And she said, let me have that. And I said, well, I can do it. She said, give me that. That's what I do. <laughs> yes, ma'am. And so I did. And she did awesome. Miss Debbie knows that her call is to serve, and she's incredibly good at it because God has gifted her in that. That's not what God had me there for. And I so appreciated the fact that Miss Debbie knew her role and knew what she was supposed to do and was confident enough in that to tell me to stop. Sometimes we need somebody in our life to say, stop doing that. That's my thing. Okay? And I want you guys to know that you have the authority to do that. To say, Will, this is what God's told me to do. Let me do it. And by her doing that, it released me from doing something that I wasn't supposed to be doing so that I could do what I was called to do. We're all vitally important. On the way home, I'm talking with my kids. We get in the car, and Luke is like, man, this is the greatest thing ever. And, and so I thought in my mind, okay, I need, to, I need to, to, to concrete for them why this was good and why it was important. And so I said, do you know why we're doing this? And Joshua said, yeah, it was Juneteenth. And I said, do you know what Juneteenth's about? And Luke says, yeah, it's when a general came in and 
told everybody that slavery was over and da da da. I was like, yeah. I was like, did your mom talk to you about that? And he's like, no, Dad, Michelle talked about it in church Sunday morning. Yes, she did. Yes, she did. Because Michelle played her role, my kids knew why this was important. And I appreciate that. Because Michelle did something that I'm not gifted in. That's her thing. That's not my thing. And she did it, and it was fantastic. I could go on and on and on. There's a ton of that, but those were two that really just jumped out at me this week. Okay? This event went so well because we asked God, what do we do? How do we communicate it? How do we do it once you've told us what to do? And then we relied on God to handle all of that. Okay? He did, and he used all of you guys to accomplish his agenda. Okay? It's important for me to point out as well that this was not my idea or some el other elder's idea, okay? This was Bethany's brainchild because she's been asking God, God, how do we communicate the value that these, these kids have in God's life? And God said, here's the thing that you need to do, okay? So God told her what he wanted, and, and she made it happen. She, she followed his lead. She started doing the things that she needed to do. Now, look, this is not just to brag on my wife. I'll brag on her anytime, but that's not what this is about. This is about... God telling her to do something, giving her a passion for this community, and then giving her ways to tangibly love it, and she followed his lead. She prayed, and then she fulfilled the task that God gave her. Okay, I'm going to stop beating a dead horse. You get it? We're, we're supposed to pray, and we're supposed to ask God. God, how do you want me to handle this? When Moses sees Amalek attacking, which, by the way, it wasn't like they just showed up with an army. The way they began to attack was as as the Israelites are moving through the wilderness, they'd sneak in from the back and kill off the stragglers. And so there's this, there's this opposition that's happening. There's this attack that's happening slowly, and that's how the enemy works. He just kind of picks at us until we can't stand anymore and, and trying to get us to blow up. But God, and Moses says to God, God, how do I deal with this? Okay? Look, we have a role to play, each of us. And they're all separate, and they're individual, and they're all equally important. And we need to, we need to find what your role is, what your call is, and then do that thing. Point number two. When we cease to pray, we are overcome. Verse 11, it says, Whenever Moses held up his hands, Israel prevailed. And when, his hands, when he lowered his hands, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. It's important to point out that this posture that Moses is taking the lifting of the staff is a posture of prayer. This is not um, Moses being prideful. This is not Moses directing the battle from on top of the hill. This is Moses praying, okay? Now, he's holding the staff because for Israel, I didn't read this. This is just my assumption, okay? But for Israel, if you think about it, every time God did something huge, the staff was involved. So Moses is lifting this staff before the people, and he's praying. He's asking God to do what God called him to do. Okay, and I cannot emphasize this point enough. We must pray and we must do it continually. The only way we will ever be successful in anything that we do here is through prayer. Moses has learned by experience that what they need in order to overcome Amalek is for God to do it. He directs Joseph to lead an army that's not really an army. They were not trained. They didn't have you know, a unit like everybody else has. They're just some shepherds, some people that had been former slaves who had been running for their lives, had been wandering in the wilderness. And Joseph is appointed to lead those men to go and attack people who were well-versed in war. 
And so Moses is, is acutely aware of the fact that they need God's help. This is a different kind of experience, though. In their past, God had done all the work. You think about it. The splitting of the Red Sea. God did that. All of the, the miracles that happened in Egypt, God did that. This one, though, is different because God is growing their faith by working through them this time. Instead of God just wiping Amalek off the face of the earth like he did with Pharaoh, he gave them jobs to do to bring them to a new level in their understanding. Instead of God just doing the work, he said, I'm going to do this thing, but I'm going to do it through you. So Moses, send Joseph to go fight. Moses, you pray. That can only happen when Joseph um, and those he chose with him actually go into battle, when they choose to obey, okay? This is a different experience for Moses as well. This is the first time for him that God's work depends on his strength and will to obey. They are learning together that their success is tied to both God's activity and their willingness to obey, even when things are really, really hard. Joseph, Moses, and ultimately Israel's fate is depending on them fulfilling their call. It's depending on them being obedient to what God has said. And everything that we've discussed today and last week are dependent on us being persistent in prayer. The moment we stop praying and begin to just do things because they're good or because we have a great idea will be the very moment that this church begins to die. When we operate outside of prayer, when we operate outside of what God has called us to do, the church will die. It may be a slow, long, painful death, but it will come. Here, John chapter 5, verse 19 with me real quick. It says, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees His Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Look, I know you've all heard this before, but in terms of our call to ministry, our call to this community, our call to the people that God has put in our lives, we need to understand that just like Jesus, we cannot do it outside of the Father. If we're doing something outside of what God's told us to do, we are not doing it for God, we're doing it for ourselves or for accolades. Jesus could not and would not operate outside of what God was doing. And obviously we need to follow that example. It's going to require that we stay vigilant in our prayer lives, personally, each and every one of us. And look, that is hard. It requires time, it requires energy, it requires planning, and it requires a will to do it. And all of us struggle with all of those things, right? But prayer, honest, true prayer, staying before the Lord does not happen by accident. You're not just chilling on the couch one day and then all of a sudden realize you've been praying for half an hour. If you do, that's awesome, but that's not the norm for most of us, okay? Point number three. When we become weary, we must allow and count on others to help. Verse 12 and 13. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun, and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Look, I don't know if y'all are aware of it, but the way we are doing church right now is, is an oddity. Right? You think about it, just in the United States, culturally, we pay pastors a full-time salary so that they can do ministry full-time. If you didn't know, that's not how this is working right now. Okay? I have a full-time job at Petron, okay? and then I also am pastoring this church. And I'd just like to say thank you to the elders because the only way that's able to happen is because they literally take everything that can, 
that can be taken off of me in terms of what needs to happen here except for this responsibility, okay? The reason I bring that up, this is not to pat Will on the back, this is to say I'm going to get weary and I'm going to need help and you are going to get weary and you are going to need help, okay? When a pastor is paid full time, they get to devote all of their time to this ministry, okay? But we're not doing that and I'm going to tell you why we're not doing that for two reasons. Number one, God told me to keep working at Petron. That's why I'm still working at Petron. I asked him about that. But number two, it's going to allow us to replicate this church in a sustainable way. One of the biggest hurdles in planting churches, which is what we're called to do, is the financial side of it. Is how do you plant a church that has no people and also pay a pastor full time? Right? It's a catch-22. You can't have money without having people, and you can't have people without having a pastor. That's typically the way people look at it. Okay? For you and I, and for churches that are going to come in the future, it means that we are all going to need a lot of help. It's going to require for all of us to pitch in and play our roles. Okay? There have been times already in the last six months where I have become weary and tired in need of help, and you guys have stepped up. There have been times in the past where you have been weary and you needed help, Maybe somebody wasn't there for you, but we need to be. In our life groups, we need to be paying attention. We need to be looking at the leaders in the life groups, the leaders in this church. We need to be looking at the members in this church and going, man, it looks like they're having a hard time. Let me offer to help. And that's difficult because it requires our time. It requires us paying attention to somebody other than ourselves. But we cannot do this on our own. In our story, we see that Moses' responsibility is to pray. And you know if you've held your hands up for any amount of time, it's not very long before the blood starts running out of them and you can't hold them up anymore. And so God literally put people beside Moses to support him, to hold his hands up. And we are going to need that. And, and for me, it's difficult to accept help. I don't know about you. But it's hard to admit that I'm tired and that I'm worn out and that I need some help. But I do. And so I have to look, a lesson for me in this scripture today is that when I'm tired, I need to let people know. When I need help, I need to let people know. And the truth is same for you, Okay. Moses grew weary, but God knew that uh, God knew he would grow weary, and he placed people beside him that could support him. Okay? This isn't just true for me and Moses. It's true for all of us. We're all going to get tired, and we all need to learn to lead on one another. One of the reasons that I love this model of pastoring is because it puts me in a very similar situation to all of you guys. It doesn't, la- it doesn't allow me to just assume that you're not busy because I'm not busy because I'm put full-time paid staff, Right? Because I'm going to be honest, I've been in that place before. I have been full-time paid staff before. And I just assume that because I have all the time in the world that everybody else does. Is that right? Absolutely not. We all know what assuming does, okay? All right? We don't need to do that, okay? And so I love that, that you and I's lives look a lot alike. I know what busyness looks and feels like because I'm living in it just like you are, okay? We all have jobs. We all have families, we all have things that we're responsible for. But all of us have the same call, and that's to make disciples. We talked about that last week. All of us have the same call, and all of us are in this together. We all have different roles to play. They look differently. They are different, but they're all important, and we're all going to need help, okay? Israel was victorious because they fulfilled their call and played their role, okay? 
It took all of them focused on their aspect of the mission when they went into battle, but also being aware of how others were doing around them. Amalek uh, was defeated because they followed the plan that God gave them. We're going to be successful as a church only when we fulfill the roles individually that God has given us. The block party was such a huge success in my mind because everybody that was there did exactly what they needed to do. Bethany and I weren't running around saying, do this, do this, do this. Y'all weren't huddled up next to each other. Everybody was there loving on the kids, loving on the adults, and it was phenomenal. As I've seen Russ say before, that was the church churching, and it was awesome. I loved it, and so did the kids, okay? Recently, or last week, I shared with you guys that, that we're going to be talking about deacons and deaconesses. We're going to talk about that more next week. But God gave us that directive to establish men and women in this church who are called to a leadership position that is just about serving. We need those people, okay? And we're going to be talking about that more. And he did that because he has a plan for our church, okay? And we know that Christ came as a servant leader, and that's who he's called us to be, okay? We're going to dig a lot deeper into that next week. Last point, when we pray, obey, and rely on one another, God is glorified. Listen, if we can do this correctly, if we can do church the way God has called us to do it, he is going to be the one that gets the glory. His name will be made great. People are going to get to see God for who he is because he is going to be living out what he intended the church to be through us, okay? People are going to get to see who God is, not because of what they've heard somebody say, but because of what they are seeing in our lives, if we look back over church history, there's been a lot of things that people have said and done in God's name that were not God, right? A lot of us in the gathering place are, came here originally to just detox from all the messiness of the church that we had experienced before because there was a lot of activity going on and not very much of it was directed by God. The only way we can make sure as a gathering place church that we aren't making those same errors, <clears throat> excuse me, is to daily each of us getting before God and saying, God, what do we do about this? I see this need. You've given me this desire to do something. How do you want me to accomplish it? If all of us are doing that, if we are all saying, God, do we do this? Then ministry here is going to look radically different. Because it's not going to be just a small group of people who are whip drivers that are making everybody else do what we want. It's going to be you and me, the people of this church, the members of this body, doing what we love and doing what God's called us to do. And the result of that is going to be pictures of a bunch of little boys and girls with huge smiles on their faces. I'm going to be honest with you. There's some, there's some pictures in here of kids smiling that I've never seen smile. And we're here a lot. And you guys did that because you were obedient to God. And I can't say thank you enough for that. If we follow God's direction, things will turn out in such a way that God is the only one who can get the credit. This gives us the opportunity to tell people about who God is and what He has done for His people. When we live the way God is calling us to live, it opens up conversations that would not be opened up in any other way. Because people say, they look at what's going on and they're going, man, this is weird. I've never seen a church that does something like this. And it's because of we are doing what God's called us to do. Last couple of verses, 14 and 15. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner. God wanted to make sure that they never forget 
what he did. This was not about Joseph. This was not about Moses. This is about God. Joseph prevailed with an army that had no training, and it wasn't because Joseph was an amazing leader or tactician. It was because God did it. It was God working through his people. Okay? It would have been normal for them to build a monument to Joseph because he led an army that was victorious. But they didn't do that. Look, I've bragged today on Bethany, on Debbie, on Michelle, but they don't get the credit for the success of Juneteenth for our block party. God gets that credit because he did it. It was his plan. We just obeyed what he said. Moses builds an altar to God to make sure that he gets the glory and the credit for the victory. This is a spiritual marker. It is to remind them. He says to write it down, but also to build an altar. And he tells them to do those things because when they pass by this place again, he wants them to remember what God did there. He wants them to write it down in a book so that it can be recited over and over again so that they will remember what God did. Israel has an issue with remembering what God has done. And so God is saying, put down this spiritual marker so they cannot forget what I did through them. Y'all, it is so important for us to develop spiritual markers in our lives so that we cannot forget what God has done. And that can be whatever it needs to be for you. If you like tattoos, get you a tattoo that represents something that God did in your life. Yes, I said that from the pulpit. It's okay. If Excel spreadsheets are your thing, make you an Excel spreadsheet of all the things that God's done in your life so you can't forget. If journaling is your thing, journal. If you write songs, write a song. If you paint, paint a picture. But develop some spiritual markers in your life so that you can look back and go, oh yeah. Because when we get tired and we get weary, that's when the enemy starts picking at us and going, you know, that wasn't that great. He tries to devalue and discredit the things that God has done. And we need hard places that we can look back to. Solid reminders of no, Satan. God did this and it was big. It was huge for me. Okay? We cannot allow the enemy to lessen our experience. God has an incredible ministry for us right now and in the future. And I'm excited about it. I'm excited because I'm getting a taste of what God can accomplish through you guys. It's going to be incredible. But all of us, I want you to hear this. This is it for the day. This is my summary. Ask God what your role is. If you don't know, ask Him. He wants you to know. That's why you exist. He wants you to know. If you need help with that, pick somebody in this room. It doesn't matter who. They will help you figure that out. Okay? Be obedient to God's call. The only way we can be the church is by being God's. God's going to get glory and credit because of what He's doing through us, not because we're good people. Okay? We're full of sin, but God's not, and He wants to do something amazing. Okay? Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for the fact that we don't have to count on ourselves to be good. That we don't have to count on our own abilities to, to make your name famous, to make you glorified. But Father, you're going to do all of that through us. You're going to give us everything that we need. God, if, I ask that if there are people in this room who aren't sure what their role is, what their call is, that God, that you would just blow them up, God, with this, with this news that they have a purpose. And there is a thing that you want them to do that they are going to want to do, that they are going to love to do. 
Father, I thank you so much for a church that is willing to, to be obedient no matter what the cost. And then just stand back and watch what you do. Father, thank you for that. Thank you for these people. Thank you for allowing us to participate in what you're doing here. Jesus, I would pray.